Hello and welcome back to the Red Sector, a podcast about speedy motorbikes. In this episode, we're going to review what uh, was a wild weekend in Mizano. I am your host, Matt Polanski. You can follow me on all social medias at MattPolanski1. I'm joined, as always, by the MotoGP Wikipedia page that is Bono. You can follow on Twitter at BonoGP underscore and Instagram at BonoGP and BonoGP underscore photography, right? Yep. Got it. All right. So, Bono, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm very good. Very good. Uh, busy weekend with everything included. We're trying to watch everything around the race weekend around work and whatnot, but I managed to cram in as much as possible with alongside my disappointment of Derby County. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, really good weekend. I was, I mean, we'll get into it, but we've had obviously one champion crowned in yep. one category. Obviously not the, the main three that people will be thinking about if someone's all of a sudden thinking, wait, what, did I miss something? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, some, some interesting points that um, I'm looking forward to getting into. So yeah. Yeah, so uh, we'll start this off like we do every episode with the news. And was the Miguel Fernandez to That's a pro yet? That yeah, was yeah. this weekend. And, I mean, can we really say we were surprised? This has been – I think the only thing I can be surprised about was that – and, it, again, I'm not really surprised. It was that Miguel went to a pro yet because – it was talked about he didn't want to go to Tech 3. He was, I think he felt, you know, hurt at the fact that they signed Miller, wanted to push him to Tech 3. And I think this announcement of the Gas Gas brand coming into Tech 3, I think that was KTM trying to make a final ditch effort. Like, please stay with us. Look, we're, we're putting this new brand in here and it's, you know, we're doing different things with it. I think that was a last ditch effort, but... Ultimately, Oliveira doesn't re-sign with KTM, signs with the Proya. The Fernandez said we all knew that was coming. Yeah, I mean, it was quite obvious that Raul was definitely going to... I mean, without being too disrespectful towards KTM in saying this, uh, I think Raul never wanted to be on that bike in the first place. I think he made that quite no. clear last year when he said he wanted to stay in Moto2 and then they they promoted him very early, very prematurely. Um and, you know, he's he's gone up and stuck at it. And I think that's always played in his mind. I think that's had a big effect on him this year in the fact that he's always been riding with the fact of, I've been forced here. I've, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't feel ready yet. And that's going to always play a factor in a rider's mind in the, you know, the pivotal of motorcycle racing in MotoGP, riding on a very, very poor KTM. That's not, you know, let's mm -hmm. not make anything... <laughs> let's not let's not make a meal of it it is a poor bike and oh, yeah. frankly i'm very glad that he's got a ride i think raul probably waited a little bit i mean probably knew before we did of course that yamaha were no longer having a satellite team in the paddock next year which i think he would have preferred um right but the aprilia is looking ever more you know, like it's improving race by race, whether it be through Alicia or Maverick or just as a team or as a bike as a whole, it looks a lot more well-rounded by the race. Um, and I think it's a great project for Raul to join and for Miguel to join because, you know, Alicia Spargo is not exactly a spring chicken. He might go on for five more years because he's as fit as a fiddle. But right. if, you know, for some reason that Maverick goes to the top of that team like he's been trying to get to the top of that team for a, since the minute he walked in there 
and Aleish becomes, you know, a little bit unfavoured and Miguel gets a good ride on it, he might find himself in a position to go to the factory team or, you know, re-establish himself as a wanted factory rider elsewhere, whether that be Yamaha or, you know, who, who knows? I think it's a good thing for Miguel to put himself back in the shop window rather than if he goes back to where he came from in Tech 3. I don't think that's Miguel's fault. I think, you know, KTM's most favoured and fabricated rider in the sense of he's won the most with KTM, Miguel, is getting sacked to then be downgraded back to Tech 3. I think that's a big kick, you know, in the ribs to Miguel. I I, I think that's very... I mean, we've spoken so much on KTM, but... Mm-hmm. KTM's management is is horrific. It is horrific. They they the way they treat their riders and the way that they just I I get the impression with KTM that they just see it as we've got so many fingers in different pies, we can do what we want. And quite frankly, to lead on to that, the treatment of Remy Gardner is right. I I think it's wrong. I think it's disappointing and to turn around to a Moto2 world champion, somebody that was ready to go to MotoGP, give him that bike and already mm-hmm. be shoving him out the door before he's even... It, it just gives me Sam Lowe's Aprilia vibes back in the day when Aprilia didn't have the same management that they have now in that it was always, you know, it was almost like fill the gap and then as soon as somebody else looks like they're ready for it, scrap the next guy and... Unfortunately, I do think Augusto Fernandez could fall into that trap again if he gets promoted into GP, but that's not been confirmed yet. But right. I would be, I, I would be dodging that with everything I could. That that KTM spot, so to speak, I would be well, dodging it with everything. And uh, like, there's a common thing I see here because where else have we seen stuff like this happen? Formula One with the way Red Bull treats their drivers. Is it a Red Bull thing as opposed to a KTM thing? No, I, I wouldn't because... say so. Just pure and simply because Red Bull in Formula One is a team. Right. Red Bull in, in MotoGP is a sponsor. I mean, they'll have a say on it in the sense of they'll want to promote Red Bull riders. You know, Red Bull will want Top Rack in the sport, but Top Rack's not going to go to KTM because of his affiliation with Yamaha. And, you know, maybe if Honda came in for him, he might, but that's obviously not going to happen now. Right. Um, but I, I, I just, personally, I, I listened to Simon Crayfar interview Pit Byra on the Saturday, I think it was, in FP3. And mm-hmm. frankly, hearing it from the horse's mouth, on you know, hearing what Remy had to say and being told he's not professional enough, which sounds more right. like ATM saying they were sick of um, Remy Gardner's manager. Uh, that sounded more like a, a like a scapegoat of being like, well, we we wanted to let him go because he wasn't professional. I think it was more that, yeah. well, we don't have, we want to bring somebody else up, but we're going to say he wasn't professional as more of a scapegoat. I think it's a scapegoat, and I also think it's a way of looking at it from KTM's point of view of protect our own. I think it's KTM saying, well, we're not the problem. It's it's Remy Garden. Remy Garden is the problem. He's not professional right. enough. So that, you know, that I mean. How disrespectful have you got to be to a rider that's won you a world championship, what, nine, ten months ago? And mm-hmm. then be turning right. He was professional enough to win you a championship, but now he's not winning and no one's winning on your bike. It's He's not professional enough. And right. frankly, again, I just see it as, if I was Remy, I mean, I know the options aren't flooding in in terms of GP because there is no option there for him. But 
if it means going a step backwards to Moto2 or a step to the side in World Superbikes and there's an option in another manufacturer, I would be picking that. I mean, obviously, it goes to World Superbikes. There is no KTM option. But my point being, <laughs> I would, if it means the best option staying in KTM, do it for Moto2. If that's what he gets offered and that's his best option, go for it. But I would be just waiting in the wind to jump ship because the more and more we tend to go on about KTM, Matt, the more and more it tends to come true and come to fruition that they are really, really bad with their treatment of riders and their management system throughout the whole paddock seems... It's just... It's very selfish. And I know it's a selfish sport and you've got to be ruthless Mm -hmm. and cutthroat. I completely respect that and understand that. But, you know, to, to, to bring in rookies at the start of the year and get rid of Petrucci and Lacona whilst they were out riding in Austria last year... And then right. I think it was Hervé Poncheral or somebody within Tech 3 had publicly stated after three rounds, KTM need experience. Now, that's no that, that's no fault of Raul Fernandez or Remy Gardner, but mm-hmm. that's your own doing. You know, you, you guys have sacked experienced riders like Petrucci and Laquona, who's had a year and a half on the bike, and you're already getting rid of them. You want rookies in, and then you don't want rookies in. I mean, there's people in Tech 3 like, um, you know, that have been there from the Yamaha days, so have had at least ten years in that in that team. So they've got right. plenty of experience. I'd basically point the finger at the rider, and anybody with half a brain can look at that that bike now and say that's not the rider. I mean, come on, those KTM's on a good day are both in the top ten. You know, the factory KTM's on a good day are both in the top ten. I mean. Yeah, the Ducati competition's unbelievable. The Aprilia's looking great. Fabio looks good. And the Suzuki's are always going to be there or thereabouts. And if Mark was there, yeah. So that probably does take up a good bunch of the top 10. But right. even you know as a KTM fan, Matt, that KTM, on if, if KTM would have had the best weekend they could have had at the weekend, you're talking top mm-hmm. eight, top six. Yep. Like, how can well, a I mean- team of the satellite of that be turning around and pointing the finger at two rookies that, you know, are getting treated like they are. I, I just find it hypocritical. Well, and one of the things I saw on uh, Reddit over the weekend was about qualifying. Yeah, how can the Tech 3 bikes be so far off because they qualified, twenty what, dead last? Yeah. And when you looked at, at, at the end of Q2, if you looked at the difference, they were like a whole minute off of the leaders in Q1. And mind you, that was stuff of changing conditions. There was there was a yellow flag in, incident where they got basically couldn't set fastest lap because the yellow flags were out and stuff like that. But still, you're putting two... Like, it's two rookie riders on a not good bike. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean... It, at one point, I want to say, like, what what can you really do? You've got, you know, hopefully with this gas gas stuff coming in, the KTM or the Tech 3 bikes improve. But at the same time, you've got the backing of KTM, you know, the Red Bull KTM team. It's like, well, what is anything really going to change? Well, exactly. You've got Pole coming in. Yeah, exactly. Pole is, like, a, uh, you know, a glimmer of hope for the team. And we're still waiting to hear who the second you know, seat's going to go to. Everything is pointing to Augusto Fernandez, whether whether he wins or loses the Moto2 championship. 
But yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's it, gonna it's be one of those sad. things. It's just sad because yeah. I just look at it and I just think, if you're an up and coming rider and you think, oh my god, a GP team want me, who is it? I it's it's KTM. I the the, the <laughs> honestly, I know this sounds daft. I know people are going to say you chomp at the bit to be in GP, but look at Remy Gardner. He's gone up as a Moto Two World Champion and yep. already been just completely rubbed off and been like, oh, but don't worry, we're trying to, you know. We're trying to keep you there because all that all that is from KTM saying, you know, we want the best for Remy and we want to give him an option, basically saying if he can go to Moto Two, then we'll try doing that. All that right. is is so if Augusto Fernandez comes in and does what Remy does, then we can just fuck Augusto Fernandez off. It's like, where are your standards and where is your loyalty to your riders that you put so much trust in and then backstab them that soon in? I just. I just find it ridiculous. I don't think it's right, and I don't think it's fair at all. I mean, I look at Paul Espargaro, yeah. who's had a multi-year deal. Why Why would you turn around to a Moto2 world champion after seven or eight months and just sack him off? I just... Again, it's it's when it works for KTM, and they're only making a worse and worse name for themselves as, right. as years go on. And like I've said before, we're not talking about a multi-time world championship winning team. Yes, they want to do it mm -hmm. right and they want to be ruthless. Completely respect that, but you've got you've got to have a bit of legacy and a bit of heritage to go along with it to be that ruthless. I know Honda are ruthless. I know they can be very ruthless and sometimes right. too ruthless. But in fairness to Honda, they've got the legacy to go with it to say, look, we know what works and we know what wins. You know what I mean? Like they've got it. They've got it. Yamaha have got right. it. Honda have got it. So I, I get that. But KTM. You've kind of got to keep those that have stuck by with you to get you to where you are. You've got to keep them close and keep them with you, not keep just sacking everybody off that doesn't suit. And, yeah, like I say, I, I hope it betters for Remy. I hope he gets a spot, but sadly I can only see him going back to where he won. I mean, he beat Augusto Fernandez in Moto2, and that's right. the guy that's replacing him. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. But on that on that side, I just think it's a bit... A bit ridiculous, but if, if we were to move on to better news, I'd say it was nice to see Andrea De Vizioso have a, have a nice sending off, a nice farewell. Right. Um, definitely one of my favourite riders growing up. Even even talking about him now makes me smile, thinking about De Vizioso <laughs> and just some of the races I've seen him win. I mean, I've seen him win, what, Silverstone 2017, Donington 2009, was it, I think, um, on the Repsol Honda uh, just, just a great rider, a great guy, a great guy. Sorry, um, had some great battles to show people that have not, you know, people that are new to, to GP like yourself at the time, to be like, this is Davizioso, you know, with the battles right. with Marquez over the years, um, and a and obviously a, a world champion. He won one two five in two thousand and four, um, and a great, just great all round rider for for so so long. And if people like your Lorenzos and Stoners and Rosses. Are highly regarding you as a great rider you, you know you, you've got you've got some respect haven't you so right um i think it was the right decision for him to leave at the time that it is i mean he'll be back at the test tomorrow for alpine yeah. stars um testing their new prototype helmet but i think for the sports reason i, I think it was i think it was right for right. Dovey. you know he, he's definitely earned that to to go out at home and to go out at the right time when he wants definitely mm -hmm. earned that um and hope he has whatever he continues to do. I think he'll be back in the paddock doing something. But um, 
yeah, no, it, it, you don't, you don't want to see a rider that's had such a high career right. end on. Like, you know, with Rossi, if it had gone for, for another year, you'd have been saying, look, why are you, you doing this? Yeah, you, you, you're doing it for the wrong reasons, aren't you then? And I, I respect that he's gone, this is not working out. I'm going to take, I'm going to take a right. step back. So I, I, I hope he has a great, you know, rest of his life and does whatever he does. But yeah, it was nice to see him get a lot of respect from the crowd as well. You know, the crowd oh, were yeah. there with uh, for Pecco, for Fabio, for Ineo. There was a lot of those those fans there, but there was there was a hell of a lot of support from the crowd from from the Mizano crowd for for Davi, which was again just so nice to see, I suppose, because Davizioso is one of those household names that I think in the last before he had his sabbatical year or whatever you want to call it. Before then, he was just that household name that's just always there. You felt like it was just cemented. He was going to be mm -hmm. there. Um, a little a bit bit like a Pedroza at the time. It was just like, Danny Pedroza is going to be on the Honda next year. And then it's like, he's not there. It's like, wait, what? Do you know what I mean? It's like, Danny Pedroza is not going to be there. It's just a household name for me because he's never not been there. So, so yeah, no, it, it was nice to see Dovi. Dovi get a nice send-off. Yeah, I mean, I didn't get to you know, witness a lot of Davi because he was you know there for the 2020 season. I got to see him win in Austria, um, so that was cool. And you have to want like he has such a prolific career, and you know what could have been had he not run into the bandsaw that is Mark Marquez. You know, yeah, he probably could he would have won championships, you know, m multiple and. But he just came in at the era where Mark Marquez was here. And, you know, and yeah, Davi challenged him so much and pushed him in so many races. But, you know, I think I kind of hold Davi at the same spot as like um, Pedrosa. Was super talented, one of the best, but just came in at an era where there was, one, you know, Pedrosa was there with Rossi and Lorenzo and Stoner and all those where Davi just came in with Marquez and it was like, well, Marquez was equal to all three of those other ones. Yeah. And, you know, he's like the greatest second place guy of all time. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, Do Davi's had, Davi's had an interesting career in the sense that, you know, he's obviously rode for Yamaha, he's rode for Honda, and he's rode for Ducati. Mm -hmm. Ducati being the, the biggest part of his career. But even like when he came in on the J. Scott uh, satellite Honda in 2008, I think it was, um, 2007, and he came in, and I remember it being sort of, I mean, I'd been really young at this time, but even then I remember, and I still now go back and watch races, and it's almost like this... You know, he's he's won a he's won a one two five world championship. He's come through. He's managed to end up in GP. Mm -hmm. um, let's see how he gets on. And he actually did so well on that bike that in his contract it said that if he does you know X amount of results that he is mandatory to a Repsol Honda seat. Which is why mm -hmm. if you go back to a certain period in two thousand and nine, you can see three Repsol Hondas and you think how the hell is that possible? And basically because of the powerhouse that is Honda and because of Dorna basically saying or contractually, everyone's obliged to a Honda ride, and then they had to be even stricter after that, was like, okay, let's make sure that no teams are signing anything that says everyone gets a Honda, you know, factory ride, because then we'll end up with, like, six factory Ducatis if everyone does so well. Um, and then we had Pedroza, Stoner, and Davizioso as a factory lineup. I mean, bloody hell. I mean, you you know, it's, it's all, it, at the time, is like, wow. Right. Like, wow. 
Um, I think that was what two thousand and that would have been two thousand and eleven that we had mm -hmm. that lineup. Um, yeah, like that as a lineup is just 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 hearing me say that makes me be like, Jesus, can you imagine coming up against? I mean, imagine being a rider and like being fourth in qualifying and looking up when the red lights are about to go out and seeing Stoner, Pedrosa, Davizioso, and all on the all same reps, bike, uh, all reps are Hondas. You'd be like, what am I meant to be doing? Like, what, right. what am I? Like, yeah. So, but yeah, no, he had that. He did He did win on the Honda. He's won on the, he sadly didn't win on the Yamaha, but had some great results, which got him the, the Honda ride. Right. Um, oh, sorry, got him the Ducati ride. Um, and then obviously took Ducati from like midfield, very midfield bike, you know, post Rossi era and Stoner era, obviously, when it started really going downhill. And brought it back to championship challenging. I mean, if it wasn't for Marquez's Marquez style right. in Valencia 2017, if he wouldn't have... I mean, Marquez broke, I think I remember reading it, 50 metres later than where he should have broke going into turn one and saved the championship on his elbow. I mean, that in itself is unbelievable. But the fact that Dovizioso pushed the, what we regard as the great Marquez, you know, one mm -hmm. of the goats, to that extent, and granted, Marquez did win it, but... When you can push a great to that level, right. like Nicky Hayden, you know, I, I I worship Nicky Hayden in the sense that he pushed Rossi into a mistake in 2006. I mean, Rossi's mm -hmm. bike that year was falling to bits, but we hold Rossi as the GOAT. Right. And, you know, when you when you beat somebody in the peak of his powers, I mean, you've got to remember Rossi was winning 01, 02, 03, 04, 05. And then to turn up the next year and be like, oh, I'm going to beat Rossi this year is like a, what? You know, so to, I, mean, I know Nicky Hayden did it, but he had the favour in that Rossi crashed. Right. I mean, Marquez, if he'd have crashed in 2017, like any other rider in the world would have done, breaking that late, we could be sitting here now talking about Andrea De Vizioso, the MotoGP champion, you know. Right. Um, and like you say, he's, you could sit there and say one of the great second men, but I don't even want to regard him as that. I regard him as a multiple-time, you know, Grand Prix winner, which mm -hmm. not many people can say. Um, and just an all-round great character who's, who's proven on multiple machinery, which in itself is a great, great achievement. You know, like a Maverick. Uh, when Maverick hangs up his leathers, you can say he's won on a Suzuki, he's won on a Yamaha, and he probably will win on a Aprilia. That is an achievement in itself. Not many people do it. Right. Um, so, yeah, Davizioso to be held in those names of, like... I, I would look at Davizioso like a lot of people look at, like, the Biaggi's. Um, mm -hmm. And the Caparossis, these great Italian riders that have not won championships, but have done everything other than that and given so much to the sport and had great, great long careers. Um, so yeah, he's just one of those people, Davi. I don't think you can. I don't think you can dislike Davizioso. He's just one of those one of those people. Um, right. And like you say, Stoner, Rossi, Pedrosa, Mar well, Marquez being the one that's withstanding, Lorenzo, and Dovi. Those five were sort of like this 2007, eight era that were like coming through. I mean, obviously Rossi had been there for a bit and and whatnot, but you know, kind of, if you like Stoner, Lorenzo, Pedrosa, De Vizioso, those four being mm -hmm. younger than Rossi were like the the next breed, and Pedrosa and De Vizioso have now well they've all gone, haven't they? Um, yeah. But Pedrosa and Dovi lasting longer than the other two, and yeah, um, I wish he would have won a world championship, but hey, not to be, but. He's um he's definitely held in high regard in to everybody that has watched for that long for Davizioso because 
I mean, like like I say, if if you if nobody's ever watched MotoGP and asked me what it is, chances are that Austria overtake or the Austria battles with Mark will come yep. up. Um, he's just one of them. Great rider. I mean, to to beat Marquez in a one on one that many times, right? That that shows how good he is. I mean, Mark Marquez, the eight time world champion, has been beaten. I think like eight times in a one-on-one with Dovi. Like, wow. Like Marquez eight times. How many others have done it that many times? I was just going to say, nobody else can say they've done it that many times. Exactly. So, so yeah, I know we've probably got, I've probably gone on a lot longer than what I should have done with Dovi, but I feel like he deserves that, that little. Yeah. Whenever, you know, a legend. Whenever a legend ends their career like this, they deserve to be, yeah have a little bit of spotlight put on them. And I was really, 100%. I was really, and I even saw on social media about how Dobby was surprised how much like help or coverage he got after the race. Like he basically just expected to be done and be over, and he was yeah, going to ride back. Away, yeah. yeah, he was going to ride back to the paddock and you know be done with it. No, he he got a lot of there were people coming out onto the track and. You know, celebrating with them and, you know, fans were, you know, going not as, you know, crazy as they went with Rossi last season. But, you know, at the same track, you know, they were going, you know, insane for him. And so it, it, it was good that he got a, a good proper send off. He got to do it in his backyard. You know, he got to do it, you know, the way he wanted to. He wasn't forced out. He wasn't, you know, yeah. he didn't go out because of an injury. He got to go out on his terms. Um, yeah, and it was good that he got to come back for this season. Yeah, it wasn't the season he would hoped it would be. It wasn't uh, a stellar season, but he at least got to come back and go out on his terms instead of, you know, like, you know, when he took the sabbatical and it was like, well, Ducati's not resigning me and I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm. So at least uh, RNF gave him that opportunity to do it on his yeah. terms. Yeah, I'm glad he got to do it on his terms, obviously with family and friends around. You know, he saw, saw him there with, I think he, he had his wife. I think he's got two kids, two daughters or something. Um, I think I saw him with at least one of his kids um, coming out to the to the garage on Sunday. And there was just a plethora of people at the, the bottom of his motorhome stairs, which was, you know, he, he's probably not had that since his 2017-18 era where he was at the peak. Right. Um, and it's probably fizzled off a little bit this year with his results. So yeah, no, it, it was nice. And I'll be honest, I, I'm I'm completely guessing this is with no information or any sort of like whispers going on. But I, I'll be I'll be honest, I can see Dovi being the Yamaha test rider. I think Cal Crutchlow's sort of doing it as like a will it be getting paid well? And you know he's he's a, he's a great rider. Don't get me wrong, Cal. But I think Cal won't want to be a test rider for a month of Sundays and. You know, I think Dovi might push himself into that. Or maybe they'll both be test riders. I don't know. But um, he seems to have enjoyed the thought of going back to Yamaha anyway than what, what he did with, you know, knowing it was going to be a satellite bike. Bearing in mind, Dovi turned down the factory Aprilia team in 2020. Right. I bet he's regretting that. Uh. But, um, you know, to to come back and then be like, satellite yamaha halfway through the year knowing it wasn't doing anything you know we we knew in 2021 that bike wasn't really doing anything was it right um so he he, he clearly likes the yamaha program so mm-hmm. maybe if he gets offered that he might not get offered it you never know but 
Um, I can just see that being something he does. I mean, we've seen Pedroza do it. We've seen Lorenzo do it. We've seen Stoner do it. You know, it, it would be daft to not offer him, I think. That's a great rider with great experience, which is what you want in a test rider. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe he'll do that. Maybe he'll do it for a different team. I don't think he'll do it for Ducati, though. No. <laughs> I don't think he'll be doing it for them. But, but yeah. Yeah, that, that'll do it for the news for today. Uh, so we're going to get into the racing, and we're going to start with Moto E. Uh, we had two races this weekend. The first race, we had a podium of Matteo Cassidy, Dominique Agatar, and Matteo Ferrari. This podium gave Dominique Agatar the amount of points he needed to tie down the Moto E Cup Championship. I kept wanting, he kept it's throwing me a world off. Cup, isn't it? Yeah, the it's a Cup. World Cup. It's not a World Championship. And hearing Matt Dunn say that over like multiple times over the race weekend, it's a World Cup Championship. It's like, okay, um, Miguel Paul, or no, it was. Uh, Eric Granato went down. He was the one that was battling with Agatar for the championship. He goes down early in the race, ends up dead last. And with that fall, it gave Agatar the amount of points he needed. Uh, they said he could have finished like eighth place and still won the championship. Yeah. He comes in second. Um, so, yeah, Dominic Agatar, your 2022 Moto E World Cup champion. Uh, race two, we had a podium of <laughs> Matteo Ferrari, Matteo Cassidy, and Eric Granado. Um, bo- I both races, I don't, I liked them. They were good. Race one definitely had a lot more to it because you were, you had that whole battle, especially early on, you know, where was Granado going to finish? And then he ends up going down and then it was just watching, you know, okay, where does Agatar finish? Does he fall? Does, you know, there was a lot of suspense leading up to those final laps. Um, and then race two, it was basically just like, okay, we know who's the champion is, who's going to win this race. And Ferrari, I think whenever he came across the line for the last lap, he was like fourth place. And managed yeah. to pass everyone. I think he like blipped Cassidy on the last couple corners or something to take the win. So yeah, this race, both races, like I I love Moto E. I just think it's a cool series. They're short races. It's like a it's like dessert. You know, if you yeah. know, you think of it like a meal. Like you've got Moto E first thing in the morning as like your appetizer. Then you got like Moto Two in there is like a, you know a little warm up. Moto GP's your your main course, and then you got Moto E right at the end. It's a short race. It, it, you know everyone's fighting for position because of how yeah. short the races are, and it's just a good like good dessert at the end of a, a the the race day. Yeah, no, I agree. To be fair, like I, I found myself. You know, Saturday, as much as I absolutely love MotoGP, don't get me wrong, I can watch MotoGP on a Saturday, FP3, all the way through to Moto2 Q2, what it usually is that ends up being the last uh, qualifying, the the last session. Right. And, like, you can get to the end of it and you're a little bit like, whew, that was a, you know, that could be a pretty big day. Um, And then you're like, oh, MotoE. And then it's just, like, like you say, nice and short, nothing too, like, you know, it's not like a full hour and a half by the time it started to when it finishes so it, yep. it's not like a oh i'm not gonna watch that because because it's almost classed as like a separate thing it's not really integrated into like you know moto gp as much right um it's nice to watch and also 
I will just say, we didn't just have one champion crown this weekend. We had two. Because in the Junior GP series, we had Jose oh, Rueda yeah. be crowned yep. world champion. And I have watched a lot of Junior GP this year. Not like a lot as in every single session. More so since we've spoken to Eddie and we've been watching, I've been watching closely on Eddie O'Shea's results. Obviously, mm-hmm. he sadly got injured in Austria. So, you know, he uh, he didn't race in San Marino. Fair enough, because he broke his wrist, fractured his wrist. Um, right. But Jose Rueda, I mean, you've only got to go and watch. If anyone is interested in the slightest in watching young talent come through, I mean, go and watch. I think it was Jerez race one. Um, in No, it was race two. Sorry, Jerez race two. And Jose Rueda, I think he won by 13 seconds or something. Like The, the kid is unbelievably talented and such a dominant, dominant rider. Like in G- junior GPs, look like a Moto3 rider's dropped in. It kind of gives me Quattararo vibes back in the day when he like just popped up and was just blitzing everybody. Um, I mean, granted, he doesn't, he doesn't win every weekend, but if he doesn't win, he's second or... At worst, I think he got fourth in Valencia. Um, but Jose Rueda being crowned junior champion, obviously due to the new regulations, he can't be promoted to Moto3 yet. So he'll be kind of simmering in the wings, so to speak, of the junior categories with Red Bull rookies and probably junior GP again. I don't know if... I think Eddie mentioned something about you can't re-enter if you've won it, but obviously because of the new regulations with the age gap that they brought mm-hmm. in, it might change. Um but yeah, no, really, really solid ride from Jose Rueda and he's a name to look out for. I can seriously see in two, three years' time people being like, who's this Jose Rueda kid? And don't say I didn't tell you so. I mean, I'm not the only person to say that, but he is <laughs> one he's one to look out for. So I just thought I'd mention that as well. Great ride. And hopefully we have Eddie O'Shea back for the next round in Aragon. So um, yeah. best of luck, Eddie, for that. And I'll be watching closely. Hopefully he can get another podium like he did in Jerez, but hopefully he gets it properly this time whereas in Jerez he kind of got promoted due to different you know touching of the green and all that so yeah no it's um good times for junior GP riders of the likes of Jose Rueda and people like David Alonso that will be coming through as well and um David Salvador another rider that's been mentioned for Moto3 so yeah just thought I'd mention that as well before we get on to Moto3 yeah so uh Speaking of Moto3, we'll get on to that. Uh, we have a podium of Dennis Foggia, Jama Masia, and Izan Guevara. And it's weird when you look at the website. It's I got know, Sergio Garcia's. Too, yeah. Sergio Garcia yeah. is listed above Dennis Foggia, but it has no time, no miles per hour. And it says right above him, disqualified riders. Which, didn't yeah. he crash? He crashed, but he re-entered and got black flagged, so he did get disqualified. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, he yeah, got yeah. black flagged because he was. They said that he was. It was basically doing what Albert Arenas did at, at Valencia in 2020, where because of the championship and he crashed, it was almost like I'll re-enter and sort of just try and cause as much slowing down as possible, right. and you know, overtaking under blue flag. It was just, it was better for him to be black flagged. It was completely fair enough. Um, yeah. I understand Sergio Garcia's stance on it. Um, he needs to pull his finger out, I'll be honest with you, Sergio mm-hmm. Garcia. He's had a lot of weekends where I've watched him in an FP1 and 2. He's been down in 17th, 18th, if not worse. And he's almost like relying on his Sunday, which as good as that is, that will catch up on you, especially in Moto3 where people can get skittled off early and there's a lot of instants and there's a lot of 
slipstream in so you know you can mm-hmm. start off low down but you could also end up going further back because there's as many people behind you as there are in front um so garcia really needs to pull his finger out and in terms of the championship now obviously he's Guevara leading the championship we yep. we if you sergio garcia you know that going into aragon you need to assert your dominance a little bit and put your foot down and regain that championship lead because even like Dennis Foggia and Jaume Messia have both kind of been brought back into the championship. I don't think Messia is going to have a say in it, but it'd be stupid to say Foggia won't have a say in it with right. that points gap. Yeah, because you look at the points, uh, Guevara leads with 204, Garcia's on, in second on 193. Foggia has 196 and Masia is 147. Anshu's only 140, but I think that's just, you're too far back at that point. Yeah. yeah. Um. But Garcia's just so hit and miss. Like, there's weekends where he's, you know, class above the rest, and is just so good. And then there's weekends, I guess, where you're like, you're you're looking at him like, what are you doing? Like, you, you just, yeah. you know, you have no idea. And then Fadia with this win, and you could just see after he finished. Yeah, he was sitting there, like, screaming, pounding the bike, just so... I, I feel like he had a weight lifted off his shoulder by finally winning a race again. Because, you know, early on in the season, it, everyone had Foggia, especially preseason. Foggia was, you know, so many people's picks to be the Moto3 champion this year. Yeah. And then he's... There's been weekends where he's good, and then there's been weekends where he's nowhere to be found. So to see him get this win and sort of put his name back in that ring for the Moto Three Championship was good. Um, you know, Masia gets second in this race. Izagavar gets third. You know, so Masia is not gone, but I don't think he can yeah, claw back think, enough points. But I think with Masia, I mean, he likes Aragon. He, he definitely does like Aragon. He's had good results there in the past. But right. Masia's got to win at Aragon. If Messiah yeah. wants to win this championship, Messiah's got to win at Aragon. He's got to win in, you know, a flyaway at least twice. I'm sorry. I know it yeah. sounds a bit like it's a bit, that's a tall order, but if he wants to win a championship, he's got to win at least two races for me, at least. Yeah. And I, I just don't see, I don't think it'll happen. Um, I think Sasaki, if he's, if he'd have been a bit more consistent through the year, would definitely be up there. But I think he's sort of out there now because he got wiped out, didn't he, on the first lap? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, to be honest with you, I just think this race was, it was a good race, don't get me wrong. Probably not as, as Moto3 as it normally can be with the, right. the riders splitting away, but I was really impressed with a lot of riders. I mean, Dennis Onchu with that injury, he looked like he was suffering in qualifying. Oh, yeah. Um, let alone the race. So, you know, he did really well to hold on. I think he I think he bit at the cherry a little bit too early on, on the last lap, going for that lunge and sort of ruined any chance of anybody else winning, let alone him winning. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have, I mean, obviously, Dennis Onchu knows more about racing than I do, but if I was Dennis looking at it from our point of view, I would have waited for somebody to lunge on Dennis and then, you know, take I think Messiah was going to, yeah, and then take advantage because that tends to be common in turn 14 at the end of the right-handers at, at yep. Mazzano. Um, so, yeah, but, I mean, granted, he went for it. You can't, you can't doubt him or, you know, powder him for that, but... Fourth place is probably a little bit harsh due to his efforts with the injury and whatnot. He probably deserved a podium, but I suppose that's Moto3 for you. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, Dennis Foggia kind of got away with being lunged on because of the fighting that was going on behind him. Uh, but overall, some 
absolutely solid rides. I mean, a quick shout out for um, Harrison Voigt, who got caught up in that melee at the beginning. Oh and was yeah, the, he was the um, the rider that I was referring to, saying a few podcasts ago. I was like the Australian kid in in the junior categories, and I was like, I couldn't think of his name. It was Harrison. Um, okay. Who again? I mean, he finished three seconds behind Anna Carrasco after being caught up in a melee. Um, mm-hmm. And he finished in front of Josh Watley. So, I mean, I know the Vision Track boys had a bit of a, uh, an issue, and I know Josh Watley had that high side that he saved in the in the in the warm up lap or the sighting yep. lap. Sorry. So they they had some issues with Scott as well. But for for Harrison, that's great great experience for him. Little shout out for him. I think he did really well. And yeah, no, I think it was an all right race. I don't know for either of the day who I could go for other than Dennis Onchu. Um <laughs> But yeah, I think that's that's my say on that. I think. Yeah, uh, my rider of the day. I'm gonna go with. Uh, ooh. I think Danny Holgado had a really good race as well. You know. Yeah, and that's I. I I'm looking at his name. Uh, Rookie. Yeah, Rookie I'll go with him. I, remember. I was looking between him and Masia. Masia mainly because you know he made it a, a good race, maximized his points you know, that he was going to be able to get, you know, when you look at who finished above him, you know, put his name, his name's not out of the title race yet, but it's not really in the title race either. He's sort Mm. of just still lingering. One thing I noticed about this race, when you look at the top five, three of the top five are the Red Bull KTM, whether it's Ajo or it's the Tech 3. And when I saw that, my first thought was, Who's the other Tech 3 rider? Because I, I couldn't remember. Mind you, I'm a KTM fan, and it's sad that I can't remember who our other Moto 3 rider was. Adrian Fernandez finished 16th place. Yeah. Do you think with Raul going to Aprilia, they might be able to do away with Adrian Fernandez? Um, I think Adrian Fernandez is a great talent, and people probably look at it and go, oh, well, he didn't do what Raul did. But anybody that says that, I mean, not that, anybody, not that that's a common thing that is said but people that look at it and go that's Raul Fernandez's brother and think Raul's doing so good or whatever mm-hmm. you look at Raul Fernandez's first year in Moto3 was nowhere I mean Ra- Raul struggled in his first year to to even get in points regularly and then when he finds his flow which tends to be the case with Moto2 and Moto3 we saw it when he found his flow he was unbelievable mm-hmm. I think Adrian Fernandez is the same as his brother in the sense that give him a year on it and then see how he goes but in all honesty with with him getting that ride, Raul probably had a big say in that. I think I remember him saying that if yeah, I go to GP, then I want my brother to have a ride. That's completely yeah. fair enough. But I think with Raul cutting his ties there, that might mean, unless Tech 3 want to keep him, that might mean that he, he might not be there next year. Um, would be quite harsh because, again, he's a rookie. He's very, very young. Right. Um, still quite raw. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's easy to look at it in that sense to be like, you know, the other three are that that high up but Danny Holgado has been very hit and miss this year although he's a rookie and you might say Adrian Fernandez is a rookie as well so you can't say that Holgado is in the in the IO team which always tends to be a bet, the best bike or one of the better bikes mm-hmm. and Holgado is coming in as, as a champion as well so it's you know Adrian Fernandez is a lot more of a raw rider and I right. think with time will come good but yeah I can definitely see where you're coming from in the sense that he, he you know he might not be in that seat next year yeah, that was just something I thought, you know, with the, especially with the Raul news this weekend. And when I saw yeah. where, you know, Adrian was, you know, running through the race, I think he was, you know, uh, lower down in the mm. 
pull in the positions early on in the race and then was able to get up to 16th place. But just yeah. seeing how far back he was, I'm like, I wonder if with Raul leaving, if they'll try to cut ties with Adrian because that was the whole thing last season was Raul was pulled so many strings at KTM that it was a whole thing of, well, if he moved, his brother had to come in and, you know, he was going to mm. leave. Yeah, you know, there was rumors about him leaving if his brother didn't get a seat and all this stuff. So it, it was just a thought I had. And I wanted to bring it up and, you know, yeah, yeah, discuss I mean, it. Obviously, obviously, with that being said, that reminds me with news that um, Dennis Foggia got announced at the Italtrans team for Moto2 mm-hmm. next year. Um, whether that'll be Della Porta or Joe Roberts, I don't know. Uh, but I, I, as much as you might say, well, it's got to be Della Porta, I think. I'm like, Dallaporta's Italian. It's an Italian right. team. Joe Roberts, I mean, Yeri won in Portimao. I'm not taking anything away from him, but go watch that Portimao race. He didn't, he, he didn't win <laughs> yeah, on merit, did he? We he all know he, how he won that, won yeah, I mean, that he, race. He, yeah, fair play to him. The only reason that he was one of the last few surviving was the fact that he didn't. He wasn't near the front. And granted, the ones that were left, he won by a mile. Fair play, mm-hmm. great win. But apart from that, I mean, he had a good result in Mugello. But apart from that, Joe Roberts has been hit and miss. Dallaporta, granted, he's not really done much. But when you're an Italian team and you're Italian and you're a champion in the Moto3 class, it's like... Right. They, you know what I mean? Like, Joe Roberts has not exactly done a lot where I think, oh, it's got to be Joe Roberts that's staying there. So it, do, it does make you think, but hey, it might be, they might keep Joe Roberts. You don't know. They might really highly regard Joe Roberts in that team and... Nothing's been said yet, but either way, Dennis Foggia will be in Moto2 next year. Yeah. So with that, we'll move on to Moto2, where we had a podium of Alonzo Lopez, Aaron Kinnett, and Augusto Fernandez. And this race was to watch Lopez do this on a Bosca Scuro. When was the last time anything other than Calix won a race? Ooh. No, you you might have stumped me there. Uh, the last like, time, would it be? I feel like it's like screaming out to me. Um, mm-hmm. What I'm trying to think, actually, the last time we actually had a non-Calex winner, but I'll like, have to look that one up. This race, you know, Alonso started towards the front, got the lead early, kept the lead through the whole race. And I, I've been saying it the past couple of weeks, ever since a lot like Lopez started getting his feet under him in this because he came in who did he take the place of um fanati yeah romano fanati ever since he came in he's like slowly been getting more getting his feet underneath of him and you know putting that boscoscuro in places it shouldn't be and then to watch him win the race you know he and i loved when he finished the race he comes through that final quarter and he looks back to see how many who, like how far cadets behind him. First yeah. thing he does, wheelie, just rides and, a wheelie and a, and a wheelie as well, not oh, just yeah. a wheelie, like a wheelie. And yeah. he comes across and he shatters his windshield. He <laughs> like is so excited. He shattered the windshield and he like he comes out with the first swing, breaks the windshield, and then he comes out with a second swing and just just completely removes any trace of a windshield off of his bike. My first, and I didn't see him do that. I saw 
when he fit like after he finished and he pulled off the track and was sitting there you know you know celebrating crying and i could see the front fairing and i'm like is his windshield gone (laughs) what happened here and i saw the clip later on and my first thought was could they dock him a position for like would he fail post-race inspection for that moto gp stewards probably yeah but um, (laughs) i was just about to say if we're saying non-calyx are we including ktm because they were sort of like do you know what i mean they they did with binder you mean like you mean like one of the one of the lower like you know sort of lower regarded bikes yeah i think i'm just wondering the last time it was a non-calyx bike that won I'm trying to think. I think it might be Sam Lowe's, but I'll I'll double check. Okay. Um. But yeah, we had obviously KTM winners with like Brad Binder and um right. and whatnot. But yeah, no. Uh, keep keep by all means keep going on about Alonso Lopez because it was it, it's yeah. like and just the excitement you could see and you know he goes over he's throwing gloves into the stands. You know, the fans were so excited. I was, at first my first thought was. Oh, he's Italian. Like, I didn't even think about it. Just the way everyone was reacting to him winning. It's like, you know, the crowd almost went as insane as it did for Davi at the end of the race. I've got it. Did you find it? it? I've got it. When was the last time a non-Calix won? Or a KTM. Or a KTM. I'm going to give you a clue on who this rider is. Oh, boy. So it's going to be somebody I know. Yeah, yeah, there's okay. someone you know. Um, and uh, by all means, anyone listening to this, if you if I am wrong in this, then by all means, correct me. But I, I'm I'm I've gone through, and I okay. think this is the last rider. Um, this rider has mm-hmm. won one world championship, whether it be Moto Three, Moto Two, GP. He's won one right. world championship. They were the first person to win a world championship from the country they are from. In the in the category they won it in. Cool. Okay. Um, they have won races this year. This year? They have won races this year. They were the in, first person to win the championship in, they were in from okay. the country they're from. They were the first person from that country to win the world right. championship. So it, it's going to be someone from a weird country. <laughs> Weird country. <laughs> like, well, it's going to be someone like non, you know, Spanish, Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to Brad Bender. I'm just going um, off on. Yeah, no. good, 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 good guess. Good guess. But they have won a world championship in the last two years. Two, oh, two years. Remy? No. No. All right, who is it? Mr. Fabio Quattararo. Oh, for the love of God. On the speed up in 2018 at Barcelona, which got him the ride into Yamaha. Okay. What what was he on? He was on a speed up. Uh, A speed up, yeah. It it was classic, which which changed from speed up to Boscos Cora. Okay. Yeah, because I know, like, the bike Alonso Lopez is on is the the plus ego speed up bike. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, and they even talked about that at the end of the race. They were saying about how, um, 
that the last time this team that the speed up team had a win was Quattararo. And, you know, they, you see where Quattararo is now. Could Alonzo Lopez have a similar trajectory? I mean, I, if, he, if he does, then that's, that's some trajectory. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you, you look at what this kid has done since coming in. I mean, he came in as like a, not a backup, I, you know, rider or anything like that, but to come in mid season, on a, a a chassis that nobody else, you know, you look at where where's the other the next Boscascuro on the list in points of standing. It's Remy or no, it's Furman Furman Alder. Alder, yeah. And, don't get me wrong, he's still very very young, yeah. But the but point being, at, that bike is not looked at as a challenging bike. You know, a, no. a challenging as in you know it's going to challenge someone like the, in on a Calyx. But like you look at the next non calyx in the the of the riders that were still going it was marcus ramirez on an mv augusta and he mm. was 16th place yeah yeah no honestly it's so such a good ride from alonso such a mm-hmm. good ride um and as i know this might sound a lot deeper than what it probably is but winning a grand prix like that on a underperforming bike that puts your name up there for you know not just bigger teams, but in the sense of his CV now, he's a Grand Prix winner on an underperforming bike. So if he was to go up to a a bigger team or, you know, challenge somebody for a spot, to walk into one of their offices and be like, you know, I've won a Grand Prix on a Bosco score. It's like... On a non-competitive chassis. Yeah, you know, seriously, that's something that, you know, he's got something there to, Mm -hmm. to hold weight to his name. That's... That's massive for his career, and you know, hopefully, like you say, he does have a good trajectory, and hopefully, he finds himself in GP one day. But before we can run, before we walk, sorry, uh, walk before we can run. Uh, let's just cycle it back a little bit and go. The form he's on's been great. Let's try and keep it up for 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 Alonso's sake. He needs to be able to keep that up across a across a season. And you know, if he if he does that next year and he's on the same bike. He could find himself P6 or in the top six and yep. top six of an intermediate championship. He can't say his name would be too far away from a, a ride in, in MotoGP maybe in in coming years. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, and obviously Aaron Cannett in P2, he seems to do everything other than win in Moto2. I think that win is coming. Yep. Um, and I'll say, I'll say he's going to win in Phillip Island. I don't know why... Really? But I'm just going to say Aaron Canet's going to win in in Phillip Island. I, I don't know why. I've just I've got a feeling. So if he crashes in Phillip Island, then there you go. <laughs> it's all your fault. Yeah, it, it always is. It always is. But um, but yeah, that's um, that's that. I mean, we had some. We had, we had a couple of decent rides. I mean, we yep. we've heard as well in terms of the news that Marcel shot and apparently Alcoba both won't be riding in that intact um, Liquid Moly GP team next year. Um, so completely new lineup, or they're not carrying on next year. Um, mm-hmm. Be interesting to see who does move up into that team because in past years they have been competitive with the likes of Tom Lutey um, and Augusto Fernandez. Uh, no, sorry, not Augusto Fernandez with uh, Xavi Vieje and the likes of in the past years. So I would like to see that team back at the front, um, but they both did have good rides. We had Jeremy Alcoba in tenth, which I think is a bit of a underminding sort of ride that people probably just go oh yeah 10th for jeremy alcoba but again rookie in that class and that team's not really been up there and for a rookie moto 2 we know it's the hardest thing to move up to is a great ride 
Um, and Barry Baltus in P13, I thought was a great ride to get into the points for Barry, who's had a lot of bad luck with injuries this year and last year. Nice. He has a lot of bad luck. I remember in Qatar where he like broke his wrist or something in that FP1 of Qatar. And I just thought, wow, that's a big kick in the nuts. That is to go full all winter and train and then turn up and then within the first hour be injured. I thought that is, that is mentally, that's hard. That's very challenging. So no, I, I really do rate Barry Baltus. I think put him on a, on a challenge, a really good Calyx. I genuinely think he'd be top six. Seriously. I think he's that good. Um, Well, yeah. Couple, couple of names I wanted to throw out here. Um, You had Navarro, Salad, uh, Senna, Agius, I think is how you say it. Uh, Lorenzo Della Porta, Simona Corsi, Vanda Gerber, uh, Nicola Antolio, Antonelli. God. Antonelli. Antonelli, Furman Aldegar, Matea Passini, Celestino Vietti, and Sean Dylan Kelly. And if I told you that was the name of the list, that was the list of riders who fell, that'd be a very surprising list. That's what happened in this race. And, like, when Vietti went down, like, oh. that was so – and to watch the team – and it, this what, this is the second weekend in a row he's crashed out of a race. And to watch early on in the Moto2 season, he was doing – he this was his championship. You know, he was doing yeah. so well. And in the recent, you know, form, he's just – it's gone away. And then to watch a rider like Matteo uh, Pacini – Oh, I who love Matteo Pacini. Who love shows up on a two-year-old Calyx, brought it in a van, was given a, a what? Is, um, why can't I think of the term now? He was a what kind of a rider was he this weekend? A replace well, wild card. Wild card. That was the term I was looking for. He was a wild card rider for Gas Gas. Yeah. And he was fifth place when he yeah, crashed out. Oh, uh, honestly, God. he's one rider. I will just say another, like a bit of a segment. Matteo Pacini, I I will love Matteo Pacini forever. I just he's one of them riders. You know, like the riders that you grow up, or like whether it be a football player, whether it be a hockey player, basket, whoever, a sports player, right? That isn't the rider or the player or whatever, but they're just sort of they just every now and then they just do things and they just they just got character and charisma that you just love. Right. He was it for me. He was it in the back in the day, on one two fives, and um, I remember he rode the, I think it was the classes the Polaris, um, one two five team or something. I can't remember what it was. It's a Polaris technology. I can't remember what it was, but I remember it being in in sky blue with Polaris down the side, with um, teammates to Bradley Smith, the British rider, and rode with that number 75 and I remember he, I think he won in Misano 2007 I want to say 2006 and he's just he's just got that he's got he's so Italian do you know what I mean he's one of those people you look at and go he, he can't be any of anything else other than <laughs> Italian he just is um, right. great rider honestly I know I know he's not a spring chicken I know he's you know he's going on a bit now but Mattia Pacini, how he doesn't have a ride in Moto2, I don't know whether it's funding for sponsors or whatever, but I would have him in a Moto2 team over a lot of riders in that class any day of the week. I think he's so, so underrated. And he showed what he can do. Yeah. You know, like I said, he's on a two-year-old Calyx. 
you know, he, he can ride. It's just, I, I don't know wh- what happened, why he crashed out, if he just got, you know, a little carried away, if he, because it was a front-end washout. Well, that corner all weekend for Moto2 was a bit, oh, of a, yeah. a bit of a ball ache, wasn't it? I mean, Vietti went down on that corner as well. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, talk about special livery curse for them. I mean, Antonelli obviously went down, <laughs> Vietti went down, and Vietti's luck in Italy is just carrying on. I mean, in Mugello, the bike broke down in front of me. It Literally, he pulled over in front of me in Mugello. Right. And I remember him just pulling over, and obviously on TV you could see he was disappointed. But it was just a small five or six seconds where... There was no coverage on the TV, and I remember just looking down at the fencing, and he like he was like looking around the bike, and he just squatted next to the bike and was almost just pressed up against it. Think, and I could just think, God, the emotions going through your head there, you know, home race, you're leading the championship, you're on top top form at the time, you've won multiple Grand Prix at the beginning of the year, everything's in your favour. He was getting quicker and quicker as the race went on, thinking he's going to challenge for the win, and then the bike breaks down, and you think, that's harsh. That's harsh, yeah. but Vietti's been his own worst nightmare in the last couple of races, and if he wants to challenge for this championship, he really, again, like, not like a Messia, but kind of like in between Foggia and Garcia in Moto3, he needs to put his foot down. He really does. Mm-hmm. He, he needs to, he doesn't just need to win, he needs to win by a few seconds or something in, in Aragon or whatever, to, to sort of say to the others, I, I'm not going away, because Agora and... Um, Fernandez are just coming into their own a little bit now and Fernandez especially has been on great form and you know it's one of them where if if you don't put your foot down in front of those two those two will run away with it and you'll find yourself defending for third you know looking over your shoulder at people mm-hmm. like Aaron Canet who's in front of Vietti now because he's been consistent he's not won but he's just consistently been there Aaron Canet and um, yeah Vietti needs to put his finger out for sure 100% yeah. he, he really does yeah, you know, and you look at some of the other riders to finish. Yeah, Jake Dixon, he didn't even make it out of what, like corner two. Yeah. He you know, high sides the bike, goes down. Um, and then oh, you had, yeah. yeah, Gonzalez and Kubo from the uh, VR46 Master Camp team not yeah. even finished the first lap. I mean, this race, you had two non points finishers out of the whole lineup. Yeah. Like, this race was so all over the place you had you it seemed like that crash display or the cla- the crash graphic just kept was like a staple to yeah, the screen the the whole race. it was the same in gp i think a lot of it was maybe the fact that in friday and saturday they'd not had temperatures that hot right so i think on sunday they went in with you know obviously a full fuel tank and whatnot there's a lot of early crashes in in all three races but especially two mm-hmm. in gp where they're probably going in with a lot heavier bike and a lot hotter temperatures on colder tires and just, you know, and, and I know they have done race runs and stuff like that, but when it's race day, the adrenaline's up and the, the temperatures are completely different, different right. ball game. And, you know, I think it caught a lot of people out. It might not have been that, but it, it seemed to be a lot of people's kind of Achilles heel when they were speaking about it post-race was the temperature was through the roof compared to Saturday, obviously, because it rained on Saturday and Friday was hit and miss. And right. because it had, it rained heavily, hadn't it, on Thursday, the mm-hmm. it, the track was sort of still kind of hit and miss on Friday. So they'd not had those track temperatures and those track conditions until Sunday. So I think that affected a lot of people. But um, yeah. rider of the day, Matt, who are you going for? I, I'm going to give this to Lopez. I, I've given I, him rider yeah, of the yeah. day for the past couple weeks, I think. And 
to finally get up the win, to do it in such a dominating fashion, you know, it, it, he deserves Rider of the Day. I, I, I know it's we kind of we don't like to pick the winner, but no, I can't, I, think, I, think I can't look down this list and give it to anybody else. I think it's justified when you see Bosco Scora, Calix, 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 all the way down yeah. to you know sixteenth place, where you finally see an MV Augusta. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's completely fair enough. I'm going to mm-hmm. give my rider of the day to Albert Arenas. I think he did very well to hold on to P4 yep. and not even to hold on to get to P4. I think he's been outfavored in that team in the last month oh, or yeah. so by by Dixon. Rightly so, because Dixon's been the better rider. Um, but Arenas has dug deep and not kind of just thrown the towel in and, you know, had a great result. I think P4 will do his confidence a lot of good and... You know, there's some good riders behind him. Agora, Costa, Arbolino, Chantra, Roberts. Like, there's some there's riders there that are in front of him in the championship and are race winners. So, you know, I think I think for that reason alone, I'm going to give it to Albert Arenas for for yeah. Moto2 Rider of the Day. Yeah, that's a fair one. Yeah, I mean, you look at who he finished around. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. he hasn't been at at the that form for most of the season. So, yeah, to have him finish that high in a race yeah he deserves it um so that'll do it for moto 2 moving on to moto gp we had a podium of peko benyaya anea bashaniti and maverick vinales and the the gap between first and second at the end of that race was three hundredths of a second don't get that in formula one do you no and when you looked at the like as they crossed the line, like you could see, like okay, yeah, Pecco's like a fair bit ahead, but then when you look at the time, like that's a fraction of a second. And I think if that start finish line's a little further down, I think Anaya, you know, blips them. Well, if that's right Magella, was one. Oh yeah. Any other track yeah. with a longer straightaway coming to the start finish line. I think Anea has them, but I mean, Peko... the fact that Anea Bastianini did the fastest lap of the race with with two <sighs> nearly running in the back of Bagnaia, yeah. like what? Well, didn't he have a like he almost fell off? Yeah, on the last turn lap. four, and then he was able to keep it up and then almost win the race. It's at the fastest lap. I mean, it reminded God, me of twenty nineteen Mizano, which I was at, um, mm-hmm. where Fabio Quattararo Marquez were just back and forth sort of like mind games. I say back and forth. It was Marquez just stalking, 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 stalking right. and doing what Marquez does best. Um, and then it got to the last lap and Fabio was kind of tripping over his himself and Marquez to just try and nab him at the right point. But it's such a hard circuit to overtake on. Yep. Um, and yeah, um, great race from both of them. I don't think it was as good a battle as some people made out because there wasn't any overtaking, was there? I mean, by Nye literally led from... When he started leading, that was it. He, 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 didn't, oh, yeah. he, didn't, he didn't battle anybody. But um, but yeah, no, a, a great ride well, from both of them. You can't take anything away from either of them, really. And when you look at like at the race as a whole, it wasn't like Bastianini was behind him the whole time. Like, Bastianini took his time. He saved his tires. You know, I think at one point he was all the way down to like fifth place. Mm. And then as the race got later on, he just started picking riders off he, it, w- one by one and then started getting closer and closer to Benyaya. Yeah. And then almost caught him at the finish line. So, well, I, mean, I, 
good. I was just about to say, on the point of an Air Bastianini, I just want to quickly say that mo- both VR46 and Grassini liveries. Oh, yeah. Chef's, chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That, that, that Rossi livery, straight away, I was just like, yeah. Just, just <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, just didn't, I didn't disagree with any of it. I was just like, that's, that's a bit of me. And yeah. then Grassini pulled this beautiful tribute out to Fausto, and I just thought, how how perfect is that? It's just just so. I mean, if it had won on that, that'd have been unbelievable. But even even the, I think people forget that team's brand new. It's it's, it's a oh, new yeah. team, and that you know, to get a podium at his home race for Fausto was from that area of Italy. I think, um, if my memory serves me right. But even still, to get it at home in Italy for an Italian team for Italian riders, such a such a good good result and it just clicked in my head when we did the news we didn't talk about bastianini got getting signed to ducati of course (laughs) yeah one of the biggest dominoes to fall yeah recently was bastianini getting signed up to the factory ducati team and it it shows if this is what he is capable of on a grassini bike what is he going to be doing next year when he's on a factory ducati scary yeah. Scary, because, I mean, people look at Bagnaia and think, well, he's the favourite because he's Italian over Miller. But when you've mm-hmm. got two Italians in there, if Anea beats Bagnaia in that team, well, that's safe to say there'll be some fireworks, I think, in that team. Because yep. Bastinini, as good as they get on, I don't think Bastinini would have given two hoots about beating Bagnaia and putting him down in the championship five points by beating him if he did. No right. way on this earth. No way. Because um, you don't want to go into a team already being like, yeah, well, well anything for for Pecco. He, he wants to go in that team and be the man, of course. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, and, and quickly, let's have our weekly fucking rant about the MotoGP stewards. Oh, God. For giving Kazuki Watanabe a three-second penalty yep. for moving out the way of the race leaders. I mean, honestly... I've said it before and I'll say it again. How fucking stupid are these stewards? How? It, it it's, it's one of those things are, when you they would get they would they would they in that in that room could officiate VAR, they're that bad. <laughs> they are the equivalent. They really are the equivalent of that. Yeah. I mean and, Oh my I mean, god. You look at, I think the only thing you can say is they're consistent, but they're consistent with bullshit. Yeah, consistently it, it, shit. Yeah, it's like, okay, well, at least they're staying consistent and dueling out you know, penalties, but it's for the dumbest stuff. I mean, can we just point We're out as pen- well, when I said last week, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't penalize Jorge Martin for running in Austria with an opened, uh, open set of leathers. Oh, yeah. Didn't, didn't penalize him for that. But but we'll penalise Watanabe for running wide and we'll penalise Fabio for having leathers opened up in Barcelona last year. Yeah. Which way is it? Like, and then we're gonna we're gonna penalise Fabio with a double long lap at Silverstone for causing a crash, but we're gonna we're not gonna penalise Takanakagami for all the shit he's done this yeah. season. And, and like and, I said, and with Pecco running dawdling on the racing line after FP one, which he owned up was was his fault, and they say no, 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 because mm-hmm. the pen, the way they penalise it is you go three place grid penalty, then a long lap. So where was three place grid penalty for Fabio then in, in from Aston? Right, because that that went straight to a long lap. So where's that? I mean, it, it's like they just it's like a spin the wheel. 
they they just see something and go, mm-hmm. well, let's have it, let's spin it. Three second penalty. All right, Kazuki, that's what you're having for today. I mean, the blokes yeah. are lap down going into the last lap. I mean, if it if it had literally carried on and there wasn't, you know, if he he pulled out of the the blue flag very prematurely, he wouldn't have been lapped. Which I mean, credit in itself, great weekend for him. His fastest laps of the weekend, including every session, were the last three laps of the race for him. Right. So he did such a good job. Pulls out of the way, and the penalising for it, like. <laughs> and it's like, what are you penalising? He's dead last. He's lost a lap time. Down. He's yeah. lost time. It's not even like he's ran wide and then got in there slipstream. He's ran wide and sat right. up. He didn't. It wasn't like he interfered with him. And, and okay, so say he. The only thing I can think of was that he exceeded track limits too many times. And this was like the because what is it like if you exceed track limits three times or something you get yeah. well, a you penalty get a warning. you get a warning after three times and if you do it two more times you get a you get so, a... so five total okay so even if he had exceeded track limits four times and this was the fifth time it wasn't like he did it on purpose he was getting out of the way of a tight of a lead battle and how plus, do you penalize plus, somebody you remember? Who's getting out of the way. Can you remember in Barcelona? I know I'm kind of pointing out the very minute details here, but can you remember? I remember the corner. It was turn. Let me think. One, two, three, four, five. Coming out of turn five in Barcelona, Moto mm-hmm. three. I think it was Messia or Sasaki. I think it was Sasaki. Ran onto the green, but didn't gain an advantage, so they didn't penalise him for it. Watanabe runs wide and gains. Nothing loses mm-hmm. seconds for it, and, and they, they penalise him for it. Well, and then, like, I mean, bear in mind, bear in mind, Sasaki's. We're, we're talking like fighting for the win. What's yeah. now is getting lapped, and they penalise him for it. Well, idiots, just idiots. And then you look at uh, last year and Magello, Joe Roberts. Yeah, little bit on the green, dock him a uh, podium position. Mm. But then they don't do anything to Sasaki. Watanabe three second penalty. That's what I mean. It's spin the wheel. It, it literally is. Honestly, it, I think I think they just I think they just put the fucking decisions in a hat and go, right? Who's having this today? And then they go, oh, it's Fabio. Oh, well, well, we've got to we've got to check which one these are. Long lap. Yeah, yeah, long lap. We'll give him a long lap. And then it'll yeah. be like Pecco, and it'll be, oh, this makes the championship interesting. Oh, I'll just give him a three place grid penalty. That'll be fine. He's on quickest bike anyway, so yeah, we'll, we'll right. give him a three place grid. Honestly, get rid of them all. Just get rid of them all. Yeah. Get rid of them all. Honestly, it is it is ridiculous who's running those those um, those decisions. I, it becomes just, a regular thing. But if you don't mention it, then you know they'll they'll mm-hmm. stay in a job. So I'll keep ranting on about it every single week if it means there's yeah. a, a chink of chance that they'll get rid because they are so moronic when it comes to these decisions. It's embarrassing. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's it's. It's a joke anymore, and we're not the only ones who think this. You go to you listen yeah. to other MotoGP podcasts or other podcasts that talk MotoGP. Yeah, and it's the same. It's the same everywhere. Well, I mean, I was so, speaking to I think I, I can't remember. I think it was on actual Twitter, like the, the in the feed. I was speaking to Carly from Sighting Lab, and yeah, you know, she said the exact same thing. We were we're on about the same thing, and people have responded and messaged me and been like. Oh, you, 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 did you see this? And I'm like, yeah, 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 because it's like a known thing now that we're all just like, they just don't don't seem to give a shit about 
standards or you know <laughs> consistency or whatever because well it's just daft it shouldn't be something you should be if you're talking about the refereeing or you're talking about the governing body or the regulating body or whoever you want to class it as in different sports after the event then there's an issue yeah you yeah, shouldn't I, be talking I, about that right i listened to the uh greg's rod podcast with jason pridmore and pridmore has been just he tears into the stewards every race because it's one stupid decision after another or even if it's not a stupid decision, it's an inconsistent decision. Yep. It it's yep. so bad, and it, it, I don't see it getting better. The only way it gets better is if they, yep. like you said, they do a, just a yard sale, get rid of all of them, bring in yep. a whole new crew. Yeah, but and I mean, you speak, you listen to people like Simon Crayford talk, experienced ex rider, and I think, why is there an ex rider? that is completely unbiased, that can see it clear as day, but a room, a room of officials mm -hmm. see it differently. And not only right. does see it differently like Simon Crayford's the absolute correct in every sense. I mean, don't get me wrong, he probably is. But, like, mm -hmm. how does a room of people be that inconsistent? How does nobody at that table sit there and go, well, hang on, guys, we had the same incident a couple of weeks ago. We, we did different. Should we, should we not go for the same or...? You know, maybe we go with different, but we stick to it. But they don't. They change. They no. just change all the time. The only thing they're consistent on is giving shit decisions. That's it. It's like I've said. It, it's embarrassing. It shouldn't be the the thing we're talking about. But if you don't talk about it, then well, then I suppose you've um, you, you've you've not spoken about what you should speak about, which it does need speaking about anyway. So yeah. But apart from that, mm -hmm. great rides from particular riders, Luca Marini. The oh. bloke gets the bloke doesn't get spoken about enough. I mean, what a no. ride! What a ride for Luca Marini. Maverick, of course, Maverick's doing great. He's so good around Mizano. He's so good. Um, yeah, I mean, to get another podium. Yeah, you know, I think I predicted Maverick to win in Phillip Island, didn't I? I think last last podcast something like, or something that. like that. Um, but I will say, my rider of the day is going to be Ralph Fernandez. Came from P twenty five. The P13 on that absolute, and yes, KTM, nail of a bike. Yep. P13 for a rookie on not a KTM track. And where did he finish behind the other KTMs? I mean, Brad Binner finished 14 seconds off, and he finished Brad Binner 30 finished seconds off. So he finished. Oliveira's 11th. He finished 15 seconds behind Brad and nine seconds behind Miguel. Mm hmm. So, and then you, know. you, you look at Remy, Remy's all the way down to 19th. Exactly. So, yeah, it was a that's a good shot. I'm going to give it to Luca Marini. Yeah, I think we've both and, gone for the. If I wouldn't have gone for Luca, you'd have probably gone for Raul. Like. Right. But, I, I mean, to finish fourth, he equals his best, po or his best finish in MotoGP. I yeah. mean, it's only a matter of time before he gets on the podium yeah i really want him to he deserves it because mm -hmm. he, he's not uh, two things actually i want to point out an unbelievable stat but a, a shocking stat and then an unbelievable one the shocking one luca marini has not crashed and not not every race he's, he's entered he's finished huh every race that he's entered in gp is finished the more nice. shocking stat matt is in 2022 maverick vinales has crashed 
zero times across no all shit. practice sessions and every qualifying and race session, warm up, you name it. He has crashed zero times. Huh. And if if I'm, I mean, I, I might be wrong in saying this, but it might be on, since he's been on the Aprilia. But in, in 2022, for sure, he's right. crashed, he's never crashed. Huh. I guess you could say he really likes Aprilia then. Well, I mean, it works well with Yamaha that bike. riders over the years have always been known for like non crashes. I mean, Rossi and Lorenzo used to have like two crashes a year. Obviously, Quattararo is not a crasher, is he? You know, you look at that, but right. Maverick's probably carried that over to Aprilia and not crashed once. And he's, he says that he's not even on the limit yet with the, with the Aprilia. He's not found his absolute peak. And, you know, obviously every rider is going to say that, but he feels very confident about his ability with Aprilia. Um, and, and, you know, you look at Maverick, not crashed once all year is unbelievable. So just wanted to point that one out quickly and uh, give credit where credit's due for Maverick. So, yeah, I, I mean, as soon as you said that stat, I'm like, it like that blew my mind. He's not crashed at all. Not, not even in like a practice. Nope. Nothing. Wow. Not in testing. Like that's almost... Now, mind you, we're, we still have a few races left in the season, but that's like... Yeah, but even still, like... It, to make it this far and not have crashed once all season, that's, like, unheard of. Yeah. When you consider, like, Pecos crashed in races, Fabio's crashed in races, you know, just take anyone. Take any... I mean, mm-hmm. Fab, uh, Peco crashed, what, twice this weekend? Yeah. Maverick's not crashed once all year round. Jesus. So I just That's wanted to blow anyone's mind that didn't know that already. Um, yeah. I, I had to like actually go away and double check it. And yeah, it, it's true. So yeah, just thought before we move on from that to fantasy, I thought you had to hear that because I had to hear it and be like, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I heard it from Simon Crayfar, I think it was, or I think it was Simon Crayfar. And mm-hmm. I was driving at the time um, for work and I was just like, Oh my god! I, I had to nearly like just make sure that I wasn't near anybody on the road to be like I might swerve <laughs> into somebody here hearing that. I'd be like, "What?" But yeah, no, unbelievable start that. So yeah, yeah. So uh, real quick, the standings as a after this race, Fabio Quattararo still in the lead on two hundred and eleven. Pekka Benyaya is in second on one hundred and eighty-one, and Alicia Spargo still holding on at one hundred and seventy-eight. After that, drops to Bastianini at one hundred and thirty-eight. So this is definitely coming down to a three-horse race. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it'll be interesting, and especially going into these next few races. I mean, these are you go to Aragon next. That's a Pekka track. But but before you say that, I forgot something we didn't mention. Mark Marquez is back. Yeah. Mark Marquez is going to be testing. He might not be racing at Aragon, but I think if he if right. he tests and he gets on with it, he'll be racing at Aragon. And Mark Marquez is good at Aragon. Yes, he is. I mean, we remember last year, the, yep. you know, Pecco's first win, you know, the battle that Pecco and Mark had. Like, that race, Mark seemed almost like the desperate one. Yeah, you, know, you were saying about how in previous races, it was, you know, Mark, well, you said about Quattraro and Marquez a few years ago. Mm. And it was Marquez stalking and like waiting. And it, it seemed like last year at Aragon, it was Marquez was a little more desperate. He was like, I want to get past Ben yeah. I want to get rid of this pesky Ducati and just be out on my own. And, you know, he made so many desperate lunges. I mean, it, I, it, the way I, I, the, 
when I saw that, the whole news about Mark coming or testing at Mazzano, I just, I just hope he, he, like he's taking or being more responsible with it this time around. Because, mm. and like last time, whenever he was coming back, it seemed like he was trying to like rush it a bit to come back yeah. and, you know, to get back as soon as possible. And, I'm, I was really hoping like this time, you know, and they said whenever he went to the doctor in, I think it was Minnesota where he went mm-hmm. um, to have the surgery done. And, you know, he asked them, well, how long can, before I can be back on a bike? And the doctor said, well, if that's how you see this, then I don't want to do it. I don't want to be dealing with somebody whose only concern is, well, how fast can I be back on a bike and not, well, how long do I need to take before I'm okay again? Yeah. And what, yeah, when I started hearing the stuff about oh, Mazz- you know, Mark's gonna test again, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess he. When I saw the whole thing that it was 93 days <laughs> since the surgery, my first thought was, how much was marketing involved with? Like, is he trying to like test that specific day so that it is 93 days? Hmm. It just seemed sort of manufactured to me that that yeah. oh oh of all the days he's going to finally be back on a bike it's going to be the ninety third day. I just hope for Mark's sake that he doesn't he hasn't rushed back. Sure, that's my whole thing. I just, I just yeah. hope he hasn't rushed back. I, I'd rather him not race at all this year, um, right? And come back next year fresh as anything. But hey, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I, and maybe he could, maybe he does his test because they showed him when he was on a uh, just a stock. Uh, Honda 1000 and uh, the track. Did you see the video of him riding that yeah. bike around the track? That track looked like shit. There's well, grass I mean, thrown it, up in random spots. Yeah, it's middle of nowhere, isn't it? Aragon. It yeah. was the Aragon like go kart type, you know, sort of tr- test circuit next to it. Um, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. But uh, but yeah, I guess we'll see with Mark. I guess we'll see. Yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, hopefully if he if he does this test at Mazzano and it like he's like, oh, the arm's still hurting. I hope he like doesn't try to rush it. I hope he like yeah. if he does feel pain or does feel discomfort. I hope he just okay. We tested. I'm not ready. Let me take more time. Yeah, like same. like you said, I'd rather see him not race at all the rest of the season and come back a hundred percent for 2023. Yeah. So, um, moving into MotoGP fantasy this weekend, we had a top three of Tex team. In first, second was Culture Ibiza. And third place, this guy right here, Luca oh, really? Vigo. Yep, I got third place this weekend. So nice. Uh, I boosted Banyaya. So I think that's ah. why I got as high as I did. I was amazed that there were people above me because I finished this weekend uh, with 155.5 points. Uh, Culture ended with 164.5, and Tex team had 167. So uh, overall for the whole season, in first place, we have 46-46. In first, second place is Tex team. And then third place is, again, this name that is just... Nalabali. Nalabali. Um, and Josh in fourth. <laughs> yep, Josh in fourth. He's only two points behind uh, Nalabali for... Uh, third place. But they did, both have a boost, though, don't they? They both have a boost yet, but did if you look at first and second place, they are tied on 1,471 points exactly. Yeah. That, that's insane. We're, like, <laughs> that is we're getting 
we have how many races left and it is coming like they are tied exactly on points i mean tech team so, doing well this last gp if you look because the tech team in yep. second got 167 like you said and 46 46 got 121 so they'll be sort of looking over the shoulder now well not looking over the shoulder but looking to the side because they're on equal mm-hmm. point so yeah no interesting one i mean i've moved up to 59th so i am yep. moving up <laughs> i am currently 43rd after that big points haul um which yeah i i don't see making many changes then again i i was looking at it the uh last night when after i checked the results I can't really make any changes and improve my team. I mm. have Bastianini, Banyaya, Yamaha with a Spark, a Leish, and Brad Bender. Those four, yeah. my four riders are four of the top five riders overall for points this season. Fair. And then if I take any, like, because my, I was looking, like, can I change manufacturers? And Yamaha is rated so low. They're worth 2.8 million. So in order to get like, and you have um, manufacturers like Aproya and KTM rated at 3.6 million. How? I don't know. Uh, Aproya, I understand. They've been doing well. KTM, how they're rated at the same price as Aproya. I have no idea. They should be the lowest. Uh, Honda is the lowest, surprisingly. Oh yeah, Honda, yeah. When you figure they've got you know, four marks not there, and the four riders they do have aren't finishing well. Um, yeah. They're rated the lowest, but I was looking back at some of the teams I had early on this year. At one point, I had the same exact riders with a Proya as my manufacturer, and I know why I switched. I switched to Yamaha because Fabio was finishing so high and earning more points. But it was just like I could have had a Proya, and my team would be worth so much more at this point. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, this weekend I'm gonna have to think long and hard because after this we've got what five races left after Aragon. So, and I've got one boost left to use. I mean, this is a Peco track. I might have to use a boost for him again. He's on form. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's it for MotoGP Fantasy. If you are not involved and would like to get involved with MotoGP Fantasy, go to uh, fantasy.motogp.com, search Red Sector. We're the only one that comes up, and uh, join in. And uh, it's a ton of fun. We'll give you shout-outs if you do well, and yeah, you can come and see if you kick our asses. So uh, you'll, you'll definitely kick mine. That's, yeah. That's, right. that, that's, that's a given. You'll, you'll always be one of the Red Sector, and it'll always be me. <laughs> Um, yes. I believe before we finish, Matt, you've said that we have an extra segment you wanted to do. Yes, I have. Being that I haven't been on uh, as much recently due to work, uh, I had a stump bunno made up uh, earlier this season that I wanted to get to. And for those of you who don't know what stump bunno is, it's basically where I come up with stuff to try to thump the MotoGP Wikipedia page that is bunno. Um, <laughs> this one, I, I'm a little. I don't know how it's going to go. You might get all of the answers right on this one. So here's here's the question. Here's the question. Earlier this season, Joe Roberts became the first American to win in the intermediate class since John Kaczynski in the 1990 Australian GP. Mm -hmm. Name the six riders that were alive when John won that race. 
Name the six riders that were alive. There were six riders in all of the Moto G- MotoGP, Moto2, Moto3. There were only six riders oh. who were alive. You when mean like of the this. current grid that are alive, that were alive, sorry, when John Kaczynski John... won in 1990? Yes. yes. And are these six riders in Moto3, 2, and GP, or just GP? Yes, in all, in all of MotoGP. So Moto3, Moto2, MotoGP, there are six oh riders. God. Full-time riders. No. Nah, that's that's sneaky then. <laughs> that's sneaky. I went I went through the entire lineup and found the six riders. So they have to be at least thirty-two, is what you're saying? About yeah. Basically, can you name the six oldest riders in the batting? Right. Well, Andre Davizioso is one. Yes. Um. Ooh, Even though he's uh, retired at the time when Joe Roberts won in Portugal, he was still there, so he counts. Yeah. Simone Corsi will be two. Yes. Mattia Pessini, if you're classing him. Because you said you didn't say full time and he he has rode before in yes. the season. So he, yes. he he does count. Mm-hmm. Um ooh. Okay, so that'll add seven. I didn't think about Pessini. Because he hadn't been in the paddock. Mind you, like I said, I wrote this question after Portugal. So it's been a while. Right. Okay. So we've got, let me think. Dobby and Corsi. You've got to her. And Corsi. uh, 32 years old and older. Um, How old's Marcel Schrotter? I don't think he's that old. No, he's he's not that old. Mm -mm. Um, Oh, let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Um, Pedro Acosta. Right. Right. Let me think. Let me think. GP. Who was old in GP? I mean, even like it's weird to think that Mark Marquez is one of the older few in GP. Um, shit. Ooh. Six riders that are older than thirty. It can't be Moto Three because there's a there's an age limit on Moto Three, so it has to be Moto Two or Moto GP. Um, that are older than 32? Older than 32? Yes. <sighs> Depends in what year, because I know Sam Lowe's is around 32. He's very close to being 32, um, if he's not. Um, Cambobia is not young, but he's not 30-odd. Oh, no. God, this is hard. This is hard. when you. It's one of them that, like, off guard, you could probably mention them, but, like, when you're asked about them, it's like, who's actually that old? That's in the current grid. Who I can't think. Um, Corsi's definitely one. That that's yes. a fact. Um. Wow. Am I being stupid? <laughs> Am I actually being stupid? I can't think. Dovi, who's like who's the same age as Dovi that still races? I feel like there's people probably listening being like, it's obviously him. <laughs> it's obviously him. Um, oh, Bradle? Key class Bradle? He's got to be 32. Bradle is correct. Yeah, okay. So you've gotten Brado. three out of the six. Aleish? That I have. Aleish is 32? Correct. Yes, Aleish is on the list. That's so there's third, two more that, names. Two more names that's older than 32. Or mm-hmm. 32 or older. Um 
<laughs> what an RB. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, depends if he classes as full time. Pirro? Pirro is older than 32. Pirro counts. Okay. Yes. That was not a name I had on here, but yes, he does count. So I have named six, technically. Pacini. Yes. <laughs> Pacini, Aleish. Dovi. Dovi. Corsi. Who else did I name? I can't remember who else I've named. Did you keep track of who I've named? Well, you named Davi, Corsi, Aleish, Braddle, and then you added Pacini and then um, Piro. And the only reason I didn't have those, they were not in the standings at the time when I wrote the question. Okay, but you, uh, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that uh, I can think of, though, uh, that would be on your list. <sighs> I mean, Zarko's not a spring chicken, but I don't think he's 32. He could be 32. Zarko, Arnold Zarko. Let me think. First Red Bull Rookies champ, 2009, I think. Oh, Zarko, could be, Zarko could be one of them. I'll go Zarko. That is correct. Okay, I'll, that's seven then. I think I've done that. Yeah. The okay. other name, and you said it, Sam Lowe's. Ah. Sam, Sam Lowe's 32. Sam Lowe's was alive. In whenever uh, John Kaczynski won in 1990. Wait, what? What? What race was it that he won? The 1990 Australian GP. Australian. Was like the last was that race. the end of the year. That was like the last race of the season that year. Let's have a look. 16th of September 1990. Sam Lowe's is born on the 14th of September 1990. He would have been two days old. Two days old. But he still counted. He was alive. Wow. Wow. There you go. Uh huh. Yeah. So, Fair enough. Yeah. Like I said, I, I just had that sitting around and I figured, you know what? While we're on here, I'm going to try to get, you know, get you with that one. And you got it. You know, you named six, you named is seven. That, is that the one? Is that the only question you've got or is any more? Yeah. Yeah. That was the only one I had. Okay. That, that, that was, it wasn't what I was expecting when you said in 1990, John Kaczynski, I was like, if this guy asks me to name the grid of 1990 <laughs> Australia Grand Prix, I was like, I have been stumped. <laughs> no, and it was a question. Um, I don't know if any, or for those of you who you know, follow her on Twitter, uh, Josie, who is Matt Dunn's girlfriend. Oh, yeah. Uh, after that race was talking about, I was, I was watching one of her videos and she said about how certain riders were alive, only certain riders were alive when the last time an American won in the intermediate class. I'm like, I wonder who the all they are. And I all I did was I looked I went through every rider in the standings at that point in time. And mm. at that point Piero hadn't made a wild card. Um Watanabe wasn't in there yet. Uh Pasini wasn't in there yet. But at the time those were the six riders I found that were alive when an American won in the intermediate class. Yeah. Mm. That's a so, I like that. That's a different type of question. Something that you wouldn't really like. If you were to go to like, not that there's events for this, but if someone said we're going to have a MotoGP quiz, you wouldn't be like, a trivia who night, was alive yeah. in 1990? Do you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't. It would have to be off like the top of your head, right? Um, but and that you you really yeah. got to think because like you know certain riders like yeah you know they're the oldest. Davi is the oldest, mm -hmm. like the oldest in the paddock. You know, Corsi's up there, but then you really got to start thinking like, okay, well I know like Alicia's older, but is he that old? 
you know, yeah. Zarco is older, but is he that old? And then you got to start. I mean, like, yeah. And I think yeah. Marshall Shaw, I'm like, he's been around, but has he been around for that long? And Zarco, right. I'm like, it's easy to think, oh, he, he, he won Moto 2 a few years back, but a few years back was like 2015 and 16. Like, yeah. you know, that's like seven, eight years ago. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he probably is yeah. that old. But yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, so- that, that's, that, that really did like. As soon as you said Joe Roberts at, at Portimao, I thought, name all the riders that crashed. I was like, maybe it'd be <laughs> that at Portimao. I was like, all right. But yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. I rate that. I, look, mm-hmm. I always like I always like doing Stunt Bono because it's it's literally, I I know now going into it, before going into it when we first did it, for anyone listening that wants to test your own trivia, you can go and play along with me when, when we did an episode called Stunt Bono. Um, mm-hmm. Going into it, I thought it'll be like, not generic, but it'll be within a certain category. Right. And I'm not even going to say what the questions were, but if you go and listen to that episode, <laughs> you now know why I go into it thinking this could be literally anything. anything. <laughs> yep. I think I got asked, what was it? It was like, name the... You you had the... So the it way was we like had a New Zealander that raced in 1990 four or something something like that yeah and didn't do anything other than he, he, he participated in like one race as a wild card <laughs> I, I don't know what it was it was something random as fuck yep. and i was like oh my god bear in mind for anyone listening i was born in the year 2000 so anything pre-2000 i, I wasn't even around to see so excuse me if any of my knowledge is a little bit off pre-2000 but i do try my best I think the stump bono we did where I had you name every MotoGP champion. Well, we actually lost that, if you remember, in the recording. We actually lost oh, that in the yeah. recording, so we actually never got it to, to, to you know, actually... That's right. ...a part of a recording. So technically, nobody knows that I've, I am that sad. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's my, that might be one we would do, but I think at this point, like, we've done it. You know it all. For those of you, you know... Wonder. We did a stump Bono where I asked Bono to name every MotoGP champion. He made it to like 1980, said a wrong name, but then immediately corrected himself, and then just went on a tear of every MotoGP champion all the way back to the beginning. Which is 1949. Which is Leslie yeah. Cameron. <laughs> just thought, you there know, you I, go. just thought I'd add that in there. You know what I mean? Little, little, little flex, little flex yeah. there, just just for anyone that that wondered. But but yeah, no, I, I mean. Yeah, I think it's quite easily uh, understood by anybody listening to this. Uh, no, I don't have a life. Just, uh, yeah. That, that, there's there's no, like, cheat system. It's just you either have a life and don't know what I know, or you don't have a life and you, you sit there acting like, you know, you've accomplished something in knowing everything in MotoGP, which, yeah, I mean, I feel good about it, to be fair, because who needs a life when you've got MotoGP, am I right? Well, and just think about it. Like, you're in the same category as Seb Vettel being able to name every F1 champion. Yeah. I mean, Seb, and, Seb Vettel might be... Some people might look at that and think, well, Seb Vettel's four world championships in front of me, but, hey, I mean, <laughs> if I'm if I'm level on anything with Sebastian Vettel, then I'll I'll take it. I'll the take amount it. of nerdism that you, you hold. Yeah. And I actually remember when we did it, I got to the end and I was beating myself up about the fact that I got one wrong. And I think we were like, I think you said something like, you know, well, you can do it again if you want. And then I just went. Yeah, you did it a second time the whole way through. And like I said, that name, it was one of the 1980 champions. Yeah, I think I got Spencer and um, 
I think I got Spencer and Gardner or something like Spencer right. and something or, or other. But as soon as you said the name and I like I made this face like no, and you went oh wait a minute no it was this. Yeah, it was Lawson and Spencer. I think I got yeah. I got mixed up because they're like because I think it's like eighty six is Spencer, eighty five is Lawson, eighty four is Spencer, eighty three is or whatever. Like you know what I mean? Like, I I got I got yeah. them. I got them muddled up how I worded it, but actually it's 86. It's 86 Lawson, 85 Spencer, 84 Lawson, 83 Spencer. Well, I got it the other way around. Right. God damn it, eh? God damn it. <laughs> hey, it's better than what most people can do. So, um, yeah, that'll do it for today's episode. Uh, so like we said at the beginning of the episode, you can follow me at Matt Polanski one on all social medias. You can follow Bono at BonoGP underscore on Twitter, BonoGP underscore, or no, BonoGP on Instagram, BonoGP underscore photography on Instagram. Uh, you can follow Josh at Red Sector Josh on Twitter. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Red Sector GP. And with that, keep the throttle pinned. <laughs>